Welcome. Sorry, I I have like three switches I have to hit to get things going. Video, audio, and then uh, Casio. You you like pull out your watch? Not just watch, but Casio. uh, They also make uh, digital pianos, uh, synthesizers, and uh, they they have to make something else. I'm I'm kind of blanking though. Um, Well, watches. What else? They kind of ha- they do a calculator watch. Yeah, that, that's what I'm thinking. They do a right? lot of small electronics. That's and bam, oh, how's it going, everyone? This is tangent tangential advisory podcast episode six. If uh, you are keeping track of our pod bean pod bean feed, uh, we're about like one episode back, but episode four just came up today, and uh, episode five will come out sometime this week. Uh, Scott, how have you been? Pretty good, Neil. Pretty good. Um, not up to anything too crazy uh, at the immediate moment. Looking at uh, Casio's watch catalog because, ah. yeah, I, I've heard good they, things about look nice. Casio watches. Yeah, some of them are pretty tacky, um, but I'm sure that there's a there's a nice watch somewhere in here. Do you think? Uh... That they're ever going to get into the smartwatch market? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, it looks like they've stuck to digital and analog so far. Would you Man. argue that Casio watches were the first smartwatches? Uh, I guess they're probably one of the first digital watches. So yeah, you could say that. It depends on how smart you want to go, I guess. Oh, yeah, the the Casio calculator watch. What a what a device! Just known as the Casio Classic. Exactly. All right. I I don't know why I'm being so quiet. Uh, what have you been up to this week, Scott? I think you're just in awe of Casio. Uh, I haven't been up to anything too crazy. Uh trying to think of the non-video gaming content nothing i don't think anything too too interesting i actually didn't know what type of gas to put in a lawnmower i've never actually had to like get gas for my own my own lawnmower before and so do you know what kind of gas a lawnmower takes neil don't you just put in like the standard unleaded uh the engine that i was using or yeah the motor that i was using for the lawnmower that i needed gas for said that i needed a minimum of 86 for the octane rating which is pretty good i think most stuff you get at a gas station around here is like 87 89 and then maybe 90 or 92 um so if it were lower than that would you just uh what what would that do I think the engine gets dirtier or it's like a lot less fuel efficient. I can't remember exactly why, but there there is a good reason that you actually have to keep uh, your gas in compliance with what the engine is supposed to run. What, what I've told myself is when I eventually do get a home, if the lawn, it, ideally, if I can actually get it to a point where, you know, the lawn size is minimized, you know, for whether it's landscaping or just having a small lawn, uh, and and it's flat enough. That's another thing. I want to use a manual lawnmower, you know, the kind that you like have to push, like uh, 
I, I, I can't, I, I don't know how to describe them, but like I've seen them in cartoons and such. I've, I've got a few coworkers that used to use them. They're apparently like pretty hard to use for one thing, but they also give you quite a good workout. But as long as your lawn size is small enough, I think that would be doable. Is the cut nice? Uh, I think the cut, I, I don't know how good the cut is. What they told me is that it's something that you have to do more frequently than, uh, than you know, using like an electric or, uh, or a gas lawn mower that you can kind of forget about your lawn for a couple of weeks and go back over it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, so I, I learned about the octane difference in the meantime. And if you use a lower octane than recommended, the problem is is that the the actual ignition of the air fuel mixture is less efficient, and uh, you get a essentially like off cycle uh, ignition that causes what's called engine knocking, also known as knock de- detonation, spark knock, pinging, or pinking. Uh, all of these seem to indicate that. Uh, you're getting the explosion at the wrong point in time and therefore it causes uh, the cycle to be sort of um, off sequence and it increases your cylinder pressure. Effective engine knocking range from inconsequential to completely destructive. So mm. you can blow up your engine by using the wrong, the wrong fuel. Nice. So that's why I knew it was important to double check. If uh, if I do find myself, wait, are are there electric mowers now? Are, that's a thing, right? Oh yeah, that's okay. been a thing for a while, actually. I I think we had gas when I was living in Hastings. That's the last time I've had to mow the lawn, Hastings, Nebraska. That's pretty nice. I like to mow the lawn out here because I don't have to fiddle with the fence or trimming or anything. Mm. But um, yeah, Casio. They cover calculators, electronic musical instruments, watches, label printers and cash registers so. do you think they're going into the lawnmower market casio yeah i think casio is actually uh just about to jump into the lawnmower market you would think that it would be different mechanics entirely but actually the arms on a watch are very similar to the blades on a mower <laughs> outside of that any uh, adventures or anything of note any anime no. movies uh oh shit movies thank good Bless, bless you, Neil. Bless your heart. Uh, I almost forgot to talk about probably one of the most prominent things I did outside of video gaming this week, and that was I uh, sat down and watched that animated movie, uh, The Mitchells versus the Machines, which is on Netflix, and it's by the same sort of Sony animation studio that did Into the Spider-Verse, I believe. And similar to Into the Spider-Verse, it is a beauty for the eyes to behold. Um, it's also just a very uh, charming film. It tracks this like um, very sort of awkward and terminally online uh, character as she uh, is making the transition from like high school to college as sort of a an artist who's misunderstood by everyone except for the new like sort of uh, friends and uh, like group that she's looking forward to establishing while in college. And so the movie like based off of that kick point um, has Katie Mitchell trying to uh, 
get like get to school and sort of get away from life as she's known it um, as her primary goal while her dad is trying to repair the relationship between the two of them before she's sort of gone and out of reach for good. And at the same time, a sort of like um, Apple, Google, like sort of mishmash, uh, super like hyper capitalist tech company um, accidentally starts the like machine apocalypse of the world <laughs> on Wait, their so, road trip. So does this also uh, adhere to some of the other um, techniques that they pulled with uh, uh into the spider verse like the reduced frame rate and things like they that. They didn't they didn't do the frame rate thing, but they do have um they just they they like really do stick to this very interesting and I think unique sort of uh thematic and presentation style. Like Katie's background is making a bunch of sort of like uh amateur films and so a lot of like video editing and doodles and whatnot. And so in the actual like in the playing of the movie, there will be like freeze frames with embellishments upon it or, uh, you know, like inserted sort of like graphics, almost like sort of a visual or digital like scrapbook effect from time to time or other little like modifications or doodles that are happening real time. Or I shouldn't say like animations that are happening real time that are not a part of the actual reality of the film, but sort of from this like fourth wall observer space that you're able to appreciate it's a weird movie but it's so much fun it looks like uh, so i'm I'm looking at screenshots of it or or maybe Mm -hmm. it's their promotional images from the film but Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to tell if it's actually just three 3d cgi or if there's some sort of element to it that it like almost keeps it within the 2D perspective from time to time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's re- it is really hard to tell from time to time. There are these like these textures that give it a really 3D sort of appearance. Um but it also has like sort of this flat dimension from time to time as well with just like how how bold some of the lines are and how they stack things that it's like I had there are times where I'm like this is 3D and then other times where I go is it Am I sure about that? Like, I don't, I don't know for sure, but it is, uh, it's a delightful film. Yeah. I'm going to have to check this out. It looks really, I mean, even just from like the artistic standpoint, it looks really interesting. Yeah. It's very fun. Mm. Um, I've, yeah, it also has a star studded cast. I was like pretty, uh, I, I was pretty surprised once again that this is, uh, just like got, a lot of uh, actors you'd probably recognize the like tech billionaire uh, shitty dude who runs pal um, which has a very Apple sort of design ethos to it but also the whole like Google element of being literally all up in your shit with every single sort of smart device and harvesting data and whatnot um, that's Eric Andre and then uh, Katie is played by uh, Oh shoot, I can't remember her last name, but it's Abby from uh the show uh Broad City. What's her name? I'll look that up real quick. It's got um Maya Rudolph. Yeah, Abby Jacobson is the uh is the name of the actress. 
who does uh, the main character. I can't remember who voices the dad, but like there's a there's a pretty large swath of uh, talent as well. Like Conan O'Brien makes a little appearance, which is fun. His character, uh, I will not spoil, a real riot. You'd have no idea it's him. Um, does he sound like Conan O'Brien? There's some like voice modulation that's going on or mm. voice distortion, and there's good reason for it too. But it was one of those where I was just like, oh, Conan O'Brien is in this? Okay. Um, yeah, let's see what other star-studded cast there is. Oop, that's Wikipedia, and here we go, voice cast. So who else do we have? Oh, yeah, Blake Griffin, the uh, the basketball player. He has, like, <laughs> he's I, got a role. I, I know he's done commercials before, but maybe maybe he's interested in acting. Maybe he's done some acting that I'm not aware of. John Legend and Chrissy Teigen are in it. Um, Fred Armisen. From Portlandia, Olivia, that guy, right? Yeah, yep. Olivia Coleman. Um, yeah, Danny McBride. I don't know who Danny McBride is, but he plays the dad. Sounds familiar. Danny McBride, not McBridge. Who the hell oh, is he? He's, uh, he's, he's um in the Eastbound and Down show. Uh, he's in uh, Pineapple Express. I guess I guess that was under the Wikipedia quick entry here too. He yeah he he's got a lot of like uh, Rogan movie affiliations. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, recent controversy or whatever, maybe that's a little old, but you know he's a funny guy. Funny guy. Yeah. So anyway, Mitchell's versus the machines. Very funny on Netflix. Approximately two hours. Hmm, okay. Oh, okay. I know exactly who Danny McBride is now. I need to do an image search real quick. The the haircut gives it away pretty quickly. I I, I yeah, I'm sure he's, he's a, done work without it, but very iconic but, for him. Yeah, it hasn't changed too much, I think, in his career. What about you, Neil? Tell I me think, about your deepest, darkest secrets. Well, uh, of those, I've been watching, I've been keeping up with a few anime series. I started watching, I think it's something that you might have brought up before, if not Cookie, Assassination Classroom. That's Cookie. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm vaguely familiar with it. it. It's pretty good. It's... I would say uh, the type of show that's just extremely bizarre. Uh, you, have you been given like the, uh, the summary of the elevator pitch? I think the elevator pitch is uh, they have to kill this uh, yellow alien octopus within a year or something and he destroys the world. Yeah. Some, it, some basic thing like that. If they fail, he'll destroy the world. But the, ali- but like the class that is uh, tasked to do it is the E-class or what they like to call it. Uh, end class or something of that nature which is like at a prestigious high school they're the bottom of the bottom they get treated like shit but the yellow octopus monster known as koro sensei uh turns out to really love his students and you know really want to teach him how to be good assassins too um so it's it like although it's never it never really feels like things are that serious it kind of has a little bit of like uh an emotional We'll say elevation or roller coaster for uh for a lot of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it sort of feels like uh oh gosh I'm I'm trying to think of like a similar story or anime, but it's like you can look at episodes and be like, okay, this episode or this set of episodes is about one like this student's growth or personal growth, uh, 
um, you know, like whether it's like uh, about accepting responsibilities or becoming someone that they're happier with or becoming a better pitcher. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, you know, each episode more or less feels like it's about a series of or different students, their improving relationship with the teacher and uh, them becoming better assassins and better people. Uh, Bob says, I was a big fan of the mangaka's previous work, Majin Tante uh, Nogami Nero, so this felt like a good follow-up. I haven't, I haven't looked into that. I will definitely probably give that a read once Manga Dex is back online. Uh, I'm a season and a few episodes into Assassination Classroom. It's a fun, it, it's fun overall, I would say. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't know. I'm worried, is what I'll say. It. They, they really they paint the picture that he's a villain within the first episode, but immediately afterwards you come to realize that like, he doesn't seem that bad of a person. Humans seem like way worse than him. So uh-huh. w- within a couple episodes, I'm already like, why shouldn't he destroy the earth? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I don't know what to expect out of it in terms of an ending or anything. I don't, I don't really know if there's been much to, uh, to say, that that that's been like foreshadowed outside of the fact that like they they keep talking about how good one student is at, at potentially being an assassin so i have a feeling that maybe that student would kill him if if anything but i have no idea um but they haven't had a focus episode on this uh student yet oh they they have he's kind of the main character but like but i i don't know it it's it's so weird because it's like every time they have such some heart touching moment with the with the teacher, they're like, "I'm gonna kill him." <laughs> I mean, it's not that blatant, but it's it's always in the back of their head. It's like, "Yeah, we're getting better. I can't wait to kill him," you know, or like, "Right, it's a good thing we're learning so much. This will help us when we're killing him." That sort of yeah, thing. It's, it, it's it's not that blatantly over the top, but it's it's like it's always there, you know. Uh, the other anime i've been watching i have i brought this up before on the podcast it's called higurashi or as they cry it's not ringing a bell it's so we've we've talked about how like things like i the somnium files wouldn't necessarily make a good anime because of like the the timelines and too such. messy so this is this is actually pretty messy. I think it's what would happen if you did do it, but you you did it well because the story of Higurashi is essentially uh and some minor spoilers coming up. Um Oh, and yes, uh to answer your question, Bob. Yeah, uh, Higurashi is like a pretty old uh, visual novel to begin with, and I think it's been remade multiple times with improved graphics and expanded storylines that weren't there in the original. The anime uh, in general, there's like, I think, four or five different series. Some of those series being OVAs as opposed to like full-length TV series. But if you were to look at the entire list of episodes, you would be sort of like at a loss of where to start if uh, if you didn't have something giving you the release date and such. Uh, but with Higurashi, we, uh, we've gotten through the first season and we're on the second season of it, which I if I'm not mistaken, is more or less covering the original series or the original visual novels. Um, but as I, as I noted, this is a, this is a, a game that has like, we'll say different sorts of what I thought were different sorts of branches, if you will, or branching paths. When, when we were watching the anime again, kind of entering spoiler territory, uh, 
after the first four or five episodes or so, there's a very resounding definitive end with uh, a certain character dying that would more or less imply that the show is over and the immediate following episode returns back to the main character still alive and you're back, you're back to the start, but events Mm. are carrying out in a different way. And so at this point in time, I was thinking like, oh, so what we're watching is different routes within, within like a visual novel. Uh, and there are clear distinctions between the, the two, the two sets of, uh, routes that I'm watching. I'm, I'm speaking in past tense here, uh, Mm -hmm that that you could seemingly pinpoint the differences at like with the with the decision trees like oh in this path we decided to go and go to the junkyard but in this path we must not have because now we haven't met this character uh but only to find out afterwards after i had finished the first season that it's a little different um the visual novels are actually released in i I believe were released in parts or episodically and they Mm. actually have no choices whatsoever so instead you it, it it's very much a visual novel there's i mean i'm i think there might be voiceover if i'm not mistaken but obviously they're using the visual element but there's there's no choices so like what what you're getting from the anime i'm assuming is more or less an adaptation cutting out some of the you know some of the extra meat or details that you don't necessarily need for it to be a cohesive story but they're basically just doing an adaptation of these static visual novels uh, like the or persona animes more or less in, in a sense except like the story itself has has an implied nature of like what would happen if it went this way instead, mutability and what yeah. would happen happen if it went that way um but it's been it's been pretty enjoyable it's uh unlike you know the stigma behind visual novels as you are learning uh as you've i i guess you could say you're learning is not the case like this is not a romantic story. This is a story about like uh, about murders and mysteries and what the hell is going on. Like mm-hmm. not knowing, it, being completely confused throughout like the majority of the of the first uh, season. It's been a delight because it's a lot of um, it's a lot of second guessing yourself and asking whether or not something is supernatural by nature or mm-hmm. if there's a rational explanation to uh to the events uh that to the murders and deaths that are happening it's been really really uh enjoyable very very deep in some con uh in in some context you could say because it's it's mostly like the most important thing that happens like the the key elements are people just keep dying so as you keep watching the show you keep becoming more attached to each of these characters many of them are like well i knowing that they might bite it yeah, well knowing <laughs> knowing that they, that they have. absolutely do bite it like uh and, and a lot of these characters are younger too uh, so i i think like th- it, this takes place in like a, a countryside town and the school i think only has like 15 students so we're talking like mm-hmm. kids from elementary level to like maybe 15 or 16 i'm not sure what the uh definitive ages are for the oldest students but it, it's it's kind of gruesome it's very gruesome what am i saying and uh uh it, it's pretty heartbreaking because you get further and further into the story you get more time to spend with each character in these different what-if scenarios and so forth those giving you more mm-hmm. opportunity for some characters to interact with others and develop their bonds there and uh what what they do that's really interesting in my opinion at least is that uh after they get through like maybe four different story arcs uh they 
the fifth arc or something of that nature ends up going back to one of the original arcs, except you see it from a different character's perspective. And that's mm. when the questioning comes, the question comes in of like, wait, is there a rational explanation to all of the supernatural elements happening here? Like being able to see it from a different perspective uh, is so interesting in, in this particular case, because so much is veiled from you, the viewer. Uh, it, it feels like a great, I guess, I guess the last thing I'll say is it feels like they've done a pretty effective job of making you, the viewer have a, uh, have a first person perspective to it. Uh, events without necessarily um, explicitly stating that you you are going through the POV of a character. Like mm. it, it, it's a nice. Uh, I, I'm assuming it's way more obvious when you're doing a visual novel because you don't typically see your player characters' uh, portrait or artwork or whatever. But they do a great job of like essentially trans uh, translating that element into into an anime series. So thumbs up on that. If you feel like some weird, creepy stuff with lots of, well, it's not like on-screen violence per se, but more like scary movie violence, if that makes sense. It's a pretty fun watch. A lot of aftermath, not a a lot of active violence. Yeah. Well, Mm. there's there's some active violence. I, I, I don't know if I've brought this up before, but like... I remember Tiffany showing me just like a compilation of anime deaths to see like to gauge how bad I was with like, you know, violence in animated form. Mm-hmm. I've I've started to recognize very iconic scenes from that. All from Higarashi. Yeah, there's a few that are from this and I'm like, oh, it's this scene. Boy, I can't wait to see what happens here. Yeah. But outside of uh outside of those two though, um I do wanna throw one more shout out for uh tokyo revengers or tokyo manji manju manji revengers manji is like the full name i guess uh that it's kind of a slow paced anime um but Mm -hmm. it has failed to uh escape my escape my mind every week every sunday i like immediately or not immediately but not too long after we get done with the podcast i go up and i watch the next episode with tiffany it's been fun to watch. If you haven't picked it up, you might want to pick it up. Uh, it's uh, it's essentially you you learn this within the first episode. It's essentially erased, except oh, you're dealing with uh high school delinquents. Okay, sold. So it's pretty fun. If I go to watch something, uh, I'll try and keep that at front of mind. I never finished. I was just realizing I've never finished Great Pretender. I oh, got, yeah. I, I haven't yeah, started that I yet. got right into the middle of it, and then I guess I better go back and check it out. I should, tr- I should try and wrap that up first, and then I'll, I'll look at something new afterward. Uh, well, games. I believe you might Visual have just novel been games. something. Yeah, yeah I, I was, uh, I've, I'm down three routes in 999. I think the last time we spoke, I had only completed one route in 999 and also called a shot that Snake was banging on this coffin. Uh, I guess 999 spoilers for anyone uh, who hasn't played the game yet that is almost 10 years old or whatever. It's an old game. Um, But I called that shot. I took another route and I never got that answered 
Instead, I got to see what happens if uh, every single character in the game gets stabbed in the back and uh, you don't find the killer. That was a pretty dark route, unfortunately. Um, just, you know, one or two characters down and then I'm like, that doesn't bode well. And then they start dropping like flies. Um, it only made sense that as I went to make my escape as Junpei that I too would succumb to uh, this mysterious killer. Probably the least, I'd, I'd say like it's definitely the worst ending in the fact that everybody dies. You have literally no idea who the killer is, but all you know is that in this route, either one of those bodies was playing dead or that the killer was not any of the people who started the nonary game with you which both are pretty pretty interesting thought experiments or revelations. But then I took another route that had me go... Um, it had me actually go back and figure out an interesting little trick with the bracelets that gave me a code to unlock a safe. And in that uh, particular route, this code is also useful for unlocking one coffin at the uh, bottom of the ship with one snake inside of it, as I had uh, called earlier. So, that this has been an incredibly... That was an incredibly revealing run. You get uh, a bunch of information about this Soparil knockout drug and about prosopagnosia, the inability for people to recognize faces, which makes a pretty prominent, uh, like twist in the game uh i think it, yeah i do believe that it identifies that snake is our killer in all of the routes potentially at least for the body in room three because it seems like he takes someone and tosses them into room three so they will die and that means uh that means ace has picked up the bracelet of uh nonary player number nine or bracelet number nine since pretty much the beginning. So I don't know if that's really a mutable outcome in the way that it seems like depending on whether Junpei are pres is present or not, there's this golden gun that keeps becoming a big problem in the end game, uh, whether Santa is using it to smuggle Jun out of the room or Ace is using it to smuggle Lotus out of the room. There's a lot of people being held at gunpoint in these late stages of the game. Um, and so I guess I have to figure out how to deal with that next. There are two more endings that I can see sort of on the flow chart in front of me. And so I'm going to move to try and tackle the ending that uh, originally ended with me being unable to open the coffin and Santa sort of smuggling June out of the room. Wait, so could you repeat for me? Uh, who do you think is doing killing right now or doing some killing? I can only pin one kill on Ace, I believe. Okay, I, that, I, I think yeah. you had misspoken and said Snake had killed someone. Oh, yes. Uh, that would have been tough because I would have then said that Snake killed what he thought was Snake, but he would definitely know being Snake himself. Well, uh, I, I'm just saying that, hey, if, uh, if you're blind, don't you technically have some form of prosopagnosia? <laughs> you have the worst kind, yeah. It, it is interesting, though, because it does mean, like, Ace can tell by voices or clothes. Like, the only thing that he can't recognize is faces. So I also thought that was interesting, that they they did cover that base, that the snake that gets killed is not actually 
saying anything or making any sound from Ace's perspective when he retells the murder because he's a sicko and he's just like, all right, you got me. Anyway, I'm the murderer. Here's how I did it. It felt good. Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> which is, of course, what you want to do, uh, you know, when you're, when you're uh, confronted as a murderer <laughs> is immediately spill the beans and get aggro about it. Um, <laughs> it it's the only good way to be a villain, okay? It really is, yeah. Um, you do have to love that in all of all of these games that I've played now. That when you corner the villain, especially on these routes that you you're not actually going to ultimately succeed in or succeed against the villain, that the villain does do a heel turn that is just like "fuck you, you'll never beat me." And you're like, "Oh no, I guess I won't." Um, <laughs> well, we fucked up. So, uh, do do you have any theories about like what the hell's going on in general? I know that there's a I know that there's another zero aboard. There might be multiple people aboard actually because there's the captain who's on the bridge or in the captain's quarters. And then there is the other man who is not Snake who got blown up. So I'm trying to think now. There's at least two players that are not they're maybe wearing Actually, for sure, they're wearing bracelets because this other one that uh, got mistaken for Snake and killed behind door number three in that bathroom died of an explosion on their wrist. So we know that there's another player, and then the captain's room also has a zero watch on it as well, or a zero bracelet. So there's like a lot of players that aren't actually a part of the nonary game going on in this. And I still have like this suspicion that all that Alice is going to play a role in the game as well. All ice, um, all ice. It's so hard to not just say <laughs> all ice instead of Alice because it's more fun. Um, but I mean, we're getting to the point where the strings are starting to sort of like unravel a little bit, and it's it's very fun. But I am not. The only shot that I felt really confident on calling was that Snake was definitely in the coffin and it wasn't Snake that was the dead body. And now I have a lot of context and explanation as to why. But I need to figure out who Zero is. And Zero is my... I mean, I'm guessing that Zero is June. I don't know why. But I just get... There's this like red herring that's sort of pointing me towards Zero and June having some sort of association because I found a Zero bracelet but it actually registers as a six when I use it on a red. So I need to figure out what that's about as well. Because June is also used... Yeah, June is used a six multiple times with her six bracelet. So I don't know why they have the same... Like why they work off of the same number for the root calculations. I'm, I'm really pumped it. for yeah. I'm really pumped for the second game, which have is a you, prequel. You have the I I cannot divulge any of that information. Uh, so okay. uh, have the people you've been playing it for uh, been pr- uh, particularly hyped as well? Are they confused? They've as been interested. Uh, yeah, they're both confused and like unable to stop watching, which I think is what makes these games uh, uh, so special. Is um. There's just so many things to be like, oh, this is cheesy or kind of tacky or whatever. But like at the end of the day, the story that's being woven is interesting enough that it's hard to like peel your eyes away from or not think about a little bit. 
mind if I interject for a moment about a, another game? Because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I'm like within the last few hours or couple hours of uh, World's End Club, which is written by the same guy, uh, Uchikoshi. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- I- I'll, I'll note that like a lot of that humor is still there. Uh, there. There's certainly an element of like, it, 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 it's, it's very immature comedy at points, right? There's sometimes some jokes here and there that are like, oh, that, you know, some dad jokes or whatever you want to put or call it. But like, for the most part, it, it, it kind of feels like a 15 year old's writing the the joke side of things and sometimes it's perfectly fine sometimes it's ridiculous uh but funny enough with world's uh world's end club which i have more or less accepted this is definitely a game for like kids the uh or at least i think it is i don't know anymore um that game in comparison to like 999 or i the somnium files though uh like the story doesn't necessarily feel as strong as those games and like the mysteries don't necessarily feel I mean, there's still a lot of stuff I don't understand, but like, it maybe doesn't have the same draw of uh, of um. How, how do I put it? it? It it's like it lacks the same sort of dire stress that you would have in a situation like nine doors, nine hours, nine persons, or whatever the order is, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a fair. It's a fairly intense or intense situation to be in when you're being stalked and uh, killed by an unknown murderer and or your wrist is about to explode with a small bomb. Why can't you just sit on it and, you know, just just block the explosion a little bit? <laughs> I'm sure that'll work, right? It worked out so well for uh, those other two guys. It sounds pretty reckless. Who, who's the, wait, who's the first person that dies? His number is nine, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the right. ninth man. And he's only known as the ninth, the ninth man. man. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything relevant I can bring up that would tie the two together or any other experiences. World's End Club is pretty pretty fun though. Like it, it it's fun in a goofy way. The characters are all ridiculous and like caricatures in some form. Like one of the girls is straight up a mouse. Like her her design, she has uh she has like a a bow in her hair, which are shaped like mouse ears. Then she has uh. Uh, buck teeth and she's also the smallest so she's literally a mouse like um there's a girl that is that like has kind of the appearance of a snake uh every character is like very easily identifiable very strong design if you will but to an extent where it's like it's hard to take anyone seriously if that makes sense but uh Mm -hmm. but it's still been like a nice refreshing game to play compared to some of the more uh like very serious dramatic games i'd been playing beforehand so any yeah the mouse girl is very easy to identify i looked up a picture real quick and uh i mean she's got mouse ears and buck teeth very yeah very much uh what else have you been playing uh two other games both are sort of a throwback uh both Wait, are did you finish village Oh yeah, I did finish Village. I thought we, yeah, I think we put off talking about Village until at you least for a little it. bit. Yeah, but I, I feel like I brought out all the spoilers for Village. We may have talked about it already. I I don't think we talked about the 
conclusion. I think you were really no, close. yeah, no, Be- we did. Ta- I'm almost certain we did talk about it because uh, I mentioned the like saving ammo, like hoarding ammo until the very end, and then I described. Oh how, yeah, yeah, uh, you're right, you're right. Yeah, how how quick that boss fight was with uh, incendiary grenades and magnum bullets. That's right. I I remember now. Well, um, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to playing some more eight though. That's probably, that'll be sort of in and off on the docket depending on what other things are going on. But I want to test out the mercenaries mode a bit and go back for some new game plus fun. But in the meantime, sticking with the spooky sort of horror theme, uh, I picked up some more darkest dungeon. I uh, restarted a darkest dungeon run, but I also picked up DLC for the farmstead and the, uh, there's a shield breaker class that's pretty interesting that does uh, a lot of a lot of their abilities are based on mobility sort of in the front row having you know high high dodge low defense and then um, having attacks that either deal blight or do like a lot of armor piercing targeted damage and they're very very fun um, a, a snake sort of cobra themed uh, character the shield breaker been very fun and interesting to use. Go ahead. I had to look it up because I couldn't remember if I had played with uh, the Shield Breaker before. I don't think I have. Pretty fun. I like it a lot. Uh, definitely like a high-risk, high-reward character. Not particularly sturdy. Um, though there is one ability that gives them like... It's Aegis Defense or whatever, uh, which is just like you, you essentially take two shots while this is active for free free for no damage so you could eventually avoid you know like a one hit ko or a crit or something or even just like stress damage like this a just gives you essentially protection from two attacks that are going to hit you so as long as you're not tanking a bunch of attacks in a turn and i also can't remember if it's a limited ability or not you could technically use the Aegis to uh periodically tank with that character um but very, very fun, very good. The sort of armor penetration and then the mobility is very nice. But it's been so long since I've played Darkest Dungeon. And with resetting this, I actually... There are so many different classes that that game offers that I didn't even think about. Like the different types of adventurers. Ultimately, <laughs> I can name a couple that I have yet to actually get in the party. I think I just got my first um, bounty hunter and my first man-at-arms after like several weeks of missions i have vestals just like i i'm drowning in vestal support which is fine but uh i haven't built an entire team of them just yet but like the musketeer i don't have in the party yet um i just started using an arbalest like it's actually really hard to build a team when you have so many different types of characters i don't think i've picked up a jester yet either um yeah i i wasn't even aware that there was a musketeer like what the musketeer is great it's so a it firearm says, sort of high damage based class wait really mm-hmm. it says that they function identical to the or the, she functions identically to the arbalest i mean that's also what the arbalest is is a it, high high damage uh backline fighter is the arbalest high damage oh yeah the the arbalest has this sniper shot ability that especially if you have someone marked you can do like 20 plus points of damage ah okay yeah 
Ah, I see. Okay, so all right, all right. Well, I think what little bit I played with the Arbalist, I think uh, you were using suppressing fire probably a lot. I, yeah, I, I I don't think she had the uh, the best. Uh, how would I put it? The skill distribution. The, yeah, the best synergizing skills. The most yeah. synergizing skills. That's what's so tricky about this game is with eight potential skills and the fact that you get them sort of randomized for a character. Sometimes you can get someone where it's like, oh, your stats are great, but your skills suck. So I'm going to have to put a bunch of money into teaching you the right ones. Or you have someone who has a great skill set and their stats are bad. Or, you know, they have like a bunch of negative quirks. Like the quirks in this game are so frustrating. Like they're perfect, but then they have a quirk that's just like makes them feel unusable. Right. Yeah, yep. Um it's so it's so frustrating. It's so there's so much money to be spent to deal with this. But then if they die in combat, you're just like, "Oh, there went all the money that I invested in you." And why so, is why is the the very first crusader always a is it a kleptomaniac, I think? Yeah, yeah. I think it's Reynolds. Uh yeah. he's the worst. He's always just like digging through your shit. And it's like, okay, uh you also I don't think get access to the sanitarium to cure him for a while. Yep. So it's just like over and over, this asshole's stealing treasure in front of everybody. And it's like, well, I need you because no one else has sent a, a crusader my way and we're going up against a bunch of an unholy enemies. But don't think I don't notice you pocketing all this jade asshole. Yep. So He's been kicked to the curb. I think I still have Dismas, but I may have to kick Dismas to the curb at some point. No way, man. Well. Dismas is the best. I do like He's Dismas. He's the best. I always keep him around longer than Reynolds. Um, the farmstead is kind of a cool thing. The farmstead, instead of doing this darkest dungeon where you're managing the torch, the torch works in a different way where it can like change color and the color impacts the battlefield like either buffing or debuffing healing for everyone or creating like a different uh, effect in the environment. And it becomes just this gauntlet of fights where you just fight and fight and fight until you uh, decide to back off or retreat. Um, I think at a certain point, if you're super successful, you are able to bring yourself to what is more or less like a boss fight scenario or, you know, like a capstone fight. But I have not even gotten close to that yet. It is it is fairly challenging, and I had a team that worked mostly off of Blight, um, and the enemies are predominantly resilient to those damage over time abilities, like Blight and Bleed, but Blight specifically. Have you found that, like, in its current form, if, like, assuming you're in the right dungeon, we'll say, that you can do those single-dimensional t- uh, team comps, or would you even say that's the most effective way to play uh, certain dungeons? I'd say it's the most effective way to play for the mo- like I think there are multiple ways to to uh optimize for a dungeon but when you're going into let's say like you're going into the first part which is like the ruins or whatever which is mostly skeletons and whatnot bleed damage does nothing because right. they're skeletons so they resist bleed they don't bleed so you can choose to do like a lot of focus damage, but there's some skeletons with really high defensiveness. So that blight works really, really well. But even in that case, there are spiders that'll crawl through every once in a while. And spiders have like insane resistance to the blight damage. So you have to like you have to have a little bit of flexibility. So you have these different options where you could have a team that is focused predominantly on applying and then 
uh, amping up Blight as much as possible to burn through enemies with a bunch of damage over time attacks. Or you can do a more targeted approach and you could build a team that's like predominantly focusing on marking enemies and then hitting them with really high like damage and crit chance attacks. Like Bounty Hunter, Arbalest, Man-at-Arms, and then I'm trying to think of another one that works off of marked uh, Occultist or something like that. I want to build a marking team really bad because that would be fun to sort of just hone in on the enemies that you need to eliminate first. I think there might... It's hard to like go back over Darkest Dungeon because there have been some reworks to classes. I think mostly before it went gold or whatever you want to call it, before mm-hmm. it had its official release. But I thought even the Jester had something that would go off of marked as well, marked enemies. But maybe that was in the past. The Jester marks himself with... Uh, I, yeah, <laughs> the Jester is the most insane class overall. It just like it's so it's so mobile. It doesn't make a huge amount of sense, but it's actually really useful as far as like lots of strong party buffs. I think it they're able to keep morale up for the party with camping skills. But they have this like they have solo and then finale. And solo, the Jester slides to the front spot, marks themselves, increases their dodge chance, and then if they get if they survive that, they're able to use finale to just, you know, sort of almost clear the field with a bunch of damage. Yeah, and and with that in mind, it's like you you had to balance your party around people or with people that had flexibility in around. their positions. Exactly. Yeah. Because if you were relying on units that were only functional in the front two rows, like you could greatly diminish your uh, your synergy by having the jester go up to the front and then let's say someone ends up getting knocked or pull you push or them back. out yeah. of their range yeah yep it, that that's what made me like highwaymen so much when when i played the game in uh early access or beta well early access not beta uh is because they they felt like they could deal they could be useful for many different ranges or different mm-hmm. positions but they do kind of they they did feel like they would kind of fall off as you got into the little into like late game the back range oh okay okay so, I yeah. mean, from the back reins, you still have uh, the pistol shot. Um, yeah, you have pistol shot. I think you have grape shot. Uh, there is like a point blank shot that's very fun that you can use in the front row. Doesn't so that that's make great you when you're to... being shifted around. Yeah, it pushes you back. I think it may even knock back your... I can't remember if it knocks back your enemy. Maybe your en- I think some of your enemies actually have an ability like that, where if they fire at point-blank range, they push you back and stun you. Yeah. Um, so I may be confusing the two. But yeah, just the slippery positioning of certain characters is what I think makes it the most interesting, because that mechanic I don't see get used in really any other like prominent games that I can think of. Well, not not all that much in turn-based scenarios, especially because mm-hmm. you know range and stuff come into play from game design when it comes to action-based games or action RPG, just based by the mm-hmm. nature of being in a three-dimensional space. But like otherwise, when it comes to JRPGs, like range in general feels more like it's a static impact on your party. Like I. Like, I immediately think of uh, two specific examples. One is, uh, like, Suikoden, where you had characters with different ranges, which basically meant they could either attack from the front row or the back row, or, uh, or mo- well, more specifically, like, if, if they could only attack from the front row or, or from any row, and whether or not they could hit enemies 
in the back row as well that sort of situation but like or persona where you you basically had like you you place your people in a formation on a grid-based map but they never move from that grid-based map naturally unless you Mm -hmm. actually took a turn to move them so that meant that you would essentially have to put people in an arrangement that made sense for being like trying to maximize everyone's range within uh any particular fight that you would have no insight over where enemies would be placed so to speak Mm -hmm. So it's like they felt more like limitations as opposed to just pure limitations. Or in Suikoden's case, excuse me, uh, like non-factors almost. Uh, Whereas in in Darkest Dungeon, it's something tangible or it's something dynamic and it's meant to be played with and used to your advantage, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. And also the corpse system, like that plays into it too. It, it, the innovation, I think, gets doubled down on with the fact that in the corpse system, like if you're not killing with a certain specific type of damage, which is blight, bleed, or a critical hit, you're leaving behind a corpse. And if you don't have a way to clear those, then you sort of have to shuffle or even like dig through the battlefield to reach the other opponents who I- may be optimally protected by the bodies that uh, cover the field. And I remember when they implemented the, uh, the corpse system in play, because that was not there for like a good portion of early access. I, I was mm-hmm. torn at the time, and I'm still kind of torn on, on corpses, because it, it effectively forced the... I don't know if it forced them to change, but as part of the rebalancing, they ended up changing the leper a bunch to accommodate. Because if... I, I, I don't think... I don't know, I should say, if this is still in play... But the leper at one point in time was given an ability that would clear all of the corpses on the battlefield. Yes, he still has that. In exchange, the leper can only reach like the first and second rows. So if he's not using that ability and there are corpses in front of him, he just has to hack at them until they're gone. And it's a bummer because one of the skills it replaced, or partly it could have been the balancing, the leper used to be like the single strongest unit, at least in my opinion, because he had the leper has bad, bad accuracy, right? Yeah, so really at, bad, but high strength. At one point in time, he had a dual buff that would raise his accuracy and either heal him or increase his defense or something. So it was like it was a win-win situation. You start out the battle with the leper. You always do like the aim buff that also heals or something, and then and he, he just, just starts smiting. Yeah, he, he was unstoppable. I mean, he he was one of those units that at that point in time uh, was always going to work in any situation as your front line and i i think at the time they felt the drawback was that having the leper in the team affects everyone's uh morale yeah so yep. that that would even things out but i i think they had to change it just because it was still argue like inarguably too strong of a unit mm-hmm. but i think he still gets a lot of praise i so i've been reading up a little bit on like guides and whatnot just to have a better understand like i want to move more efficiently through the game sure and i also want to remind myself of things i already learned you know it's one of those things where it's like well i used to know this secret like you use a skeleton key on a treasure chest in a secret room to get way more treasure but i forgot that so i just want to double check and make sure or like do I use antidote or do I use medicinal herbs on this item to like get this interaction benefit? Because those are like some of the best parts of the game where it's just like, Oh, I found a like gutted fish. Well, I'll use medicinal herbs and boom. Now I have a bunch of treasure and food. Like 
I could also learn again and just waste, you know, antidote and bandages and whatnot trying to fiddle with the fish on that round. But that's like pretty suboptimal. And in the long run of the game, it's like me looking up a guide is not going to make it that much easier. It's a hard game by by intent. And so I'm not really I'm not really lessening the pain of it in that way. Yeah, it, it's almost a situation that I would speculate whether it would be improved upon if by using an item like holy water on a specific type of object, if the game kept track of what those outcomes could lead to would be... It does now. It does now? It does, yeah. So you can actually, you can see when you've used it on something, whether it's yielded like better treasure or if it's been a dud. Ah. It'll have a tiny little circular icon below it that'll show like gold coins if you've had some sort of successful improvement to your loot. Or that it's been a dud, it'll show like a little red X or slash. If I Oh, that's correctly. really cool. Yeah. Holy. I think the only complaint I have about the game is I have it for Switch, and it just seems like it's mu- it would be much easier to do with a keyboard setup. Or like yeah. mouse and keyboard. Or even on like an iPad. I know Tiff's been playing yeah. it on iPad again recently. And like, I mean, you know. It does have touchscreen like options, but it's a very small touchscreen. So. Which, uh, speaking of which... An, an extra word that it needs to be there are you planning on getting a switch pro quote-unquote once uh that gets announced uh but what but what would i but what would i do with my current switch throw it away who needs it donate it uh, no <laughs> I, I i have no idea that uh, that's what i'm curious about as someone that would be buying primarily for yourself is a switch pro interesting to you at all yeah, but I have a Switch. Uh, right. It's tough. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, the PS5 is very interesting to me, but I'm not that excited to play Demon Souls. And is there anything else to play for it? So I won't own it for a long time, probably. The Same. big, The big Xbox box, like, I don't actually do any Xbox gaming anymore. I haven't since the 360 era. Um, I, yeah, I have a PC, like, if I want to play an Xbox game, I have a PC. I'm not going to cry about not being able to access Halo, which may or may not also come out for my PC. Um, Has Halo 5 come out for PC yet? Nope. Never. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's one of those things where it's just like, yeah, a Switch Pro is exciting and cool, and I like the idea, but am I going to shell out like what's the price point going to be for the Switch Pro? That's the big question. And even if the price point is outrageously low, even if this Switch Pro for some reason is only $250, which it won't be, uh, it's still like, do I drop $250 on something I already have and am already like very happy with? I'd have to have an excuse to like give the Switch to someone else. Right. Yeah. Or sell it. So first, what I need to do, really, Neil, is sell someone on my Switch and then turn around and, uh, you know, pull, pull one over on them. It's the best console there is. There's no better version of it. Until now. <laughs> um, let's see. Last game, last game I've played. Big throwback. Uh, Blast of the Past. Uh, a podcast favorite the absolutely beloved Bloodborne. 
Um, I bought that for the girlfriend over the weekend um, because it was it was time she experienced it, cut her teeth on it, and uh, we spent uh, the evening getting her getting her ready for the challenges ahead. She's chosen the hunter's axe, the blunderbuss, and uh, honestly has like put in a pretty valiant effort so far is like i think about ready to interact with the uh with the church beast can before before we continue can can we clear the room for a second here like yeah. in, in terms of like effective use for new players she got the first choice right i think the axe is unequivocally probably the the best beginner weapon. i would argue i would argue saw cleaver but it, it, it's uh, close between those. The is just as good. Yeah. Like the, the range as long as it's really not good. the threaded cane. I was, I was just like, you can buy the threaded cane later. So if you're really interested in it, you know, don't worry. There's still a chance. But I'm like, I play threaded cane builds now after beating the game. Right. And it's still pretty hard start. But is the blunderbuss effectively just worse than the pistol? Uh, it's really good at the... Da- at the swift little dogs like it actually works great for dealing with the dogs which i think are one of the hardest enemies to get used to in the beginning of the game because it's got that widespread and you literally need like one bullet to catch the dog and it flies backwards and then you can finish it off oh really okay so yeah. i mean the, the I, pistol I would say it's, it's really effective for swift enemies which uh yeah i would i would say is great where, Obviously, where you... the pistol is the higher skill sort of build, but they also seem to trigger. Um, what is it? They trigger the visceral attacks. I'd say pretty evenly. Like the timing's not hard. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think the timing's too different, if at all. But what I kind of came to terms with, and, and I don't know if this is true or not. Maybe it's because I started using the pistol after I had, you know, played the game for some time. But it felt mm-hmm. like I could get visceral attacks done. So we'll call them uh, at greater greater distances with the pistol over the blunderbuss i think that's true and effectively i i guess see maybe i'm looking at the the sidearm as purely a way to get visceral attacks but like yeah there's more utility to it than that and i mean you could also argue there are a couple weapons where the sidearm is unable to trigger a visceral attack you're like flame sprayer and whatnot right well yeah if you want to go it, that's the arcane build right you can go arcane and use the flame spray and <laughs> i didn't know that the, the hunter's axe scales with arcane just as well as it scales with strength right now and i'm like do we do an arcane build do we want to have fun with this but it's i don't know that just inevitably ends up being the tenitris uh which is the build that like if i if i have any arcane cane at all i i fall into the tenitris build every time but i really want to go back and i mean maybe i should do a chikage build that's the blood sword that whittles down your hp every second yeah it's all blood tinge build does blood oh sorry does blood tinge uh effectively scale with your gun damage too i'm trying to remember yeah it does um you can technically do a high blood tinge build with the like uh, ash, the white ash or whatever, and then get the cannon and start like two shotting bosses. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've, I've seen <laughs> I've seen videos for that. I I wish it were viable that you could just go through with pistols basically only, but yeah. it seems like it seems like it's too much ammo to get through areas relying entirely on your sidearm or like a, a standard one. But 
And that's what makes the Chicago like building for Chicago so hard is there's no respecking in the game whatsoever. And uh, that's like at least halfway into the game that you get the weapon that like does that really amazing blood tinge scaling. Yeah. So you have to find a way to survive until then based off of like sort of middling skill to okay skill use. But like if you're putting points too far away from that blood tinge, then you really just like, you don't have anything particularly strong to lean on in the way that I feel like starting blood porn and just having Ashley use high strength it's just like, well, this is going to work pretty much the whole time. Like, we'll go from an axe to maybe the Kirk hammer. Uh, if we want to go a little more quality build, we could get to, like, the Ludwig's Holy Blade style thing. Um, there's lots of directions to go with strength in a way that I feel like skill, surprisingly, is less satisfied in this game. Uh, until you get, once again, to, like, later game weapons. Right. I mean, Otherwise, you're stuck with the cane or like the spear. You could stick with saw cleaver and saw. Wait, what? What's the saw cleaver's like older brother? Oh, that's right. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. But that's based off of strength too. That's a strength weapon. Wait, it's not strength dex. Uh, it may be. I think it's predominantly strength, though. Let me... I guess it's time to look up, yeah, Bloodborne weapons. I know. So I I did, like, a pure quality build my first first time through. And I didn't... I should also note that I did not buy her the DLC at the time. Mm, Uh, Okay. Yeah. The Beast Cutter, uh, which is a strength... It's predominantly a strength weapon. Beast Hunt... Oh, wait. So, yeah. Oh, in fact, it's only strength. Uh, wait, wait, wait. What are... Yeah, yeah, it's only strength. Holy cow. So what is the... I'm trying to remember here. Because I, I built, like, pretty much balanced all the way up just so I could get a little bit of a little bit of time and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what did I use in addition to the saw cleaver? I know I, know I used uh, Ludwig's Holy Blade which obviously wasn't great since I wasn't specking entirely strength. But uh, mm-hmm. wait, 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 wait. I'm looking at the wrong stat. That's my bad. Here we go. Now I see CE. Okay, there we go. Well, yeah, okay, okay. So Beast Cutter has a scaling of 11 and 9. Oh, wait, are those the requirements? I'm. Those are the requirements. The scaling is going to be your A, B, C, D. And I see Beast Cutter starts with a D scale on strength. And then E for arcane and uh, skill. Okay, and so then it goes all the way to B, D, and D. So strength, strength is its best scaling. Oh, okay. So the the improved, like the the strongest version of the stats are only accessible if you click on each of the individual items. It looks like. Mm-hmm. If I if I went back into this game again at some point, I feel like I would like. So I I tried to go in for a meme build uh, a couple years ago, and I kind of bounced off because it's so hard to get through the game without specking a little bit into strength or or dex, depending on what your starting item is. Mm-hmm. But man, it would be fun. I'd rather just play Bloodborne two, though. You know. Me too. 
when's it coming out <laughs> i don't know but we got to get practice until then I- i'm starting to think that the uh the easter egg uh that was in deracine which is that uh the FromSoft uh vr game mm-hmm. there- there's a book that legitimately is a bloodborne reference in it and it- well th- a lot of people thought that maybe Deracine might have actually been taking place uh, in the, the Bloodborne universe, which if you haven't checked out like a Let's Play or, or something of it, like a cinematic version of it, you should check it out because it's a really, really sweet game. I don't expect you to go out and buy a PlayStation VR, obviously. Um, it's really Good. cool. Though. I'm, I'm glad you feel that way because I will not. <laughs> and, and, and I don't necessarily think like the experience is that great that would require one to play the game, unfortunately. Um, but but it's a really cool uh, experience overall. The uh, so there there's um, a book that says something about an untold or unfinished story that like I don't remember exactly what it was, but people looked at it and were like, oh, "It's Bloodborne too. It's confirmed." <laughs> and looking back on it now, and then it was Sekiro. <laughs> well, and, and looking back on it now, like the the reference to Bloodborne there is more likely that maybe they were working on a Bloodborne 2 and dropped the project, I think, which is unfortunate as hell, but... Yeah. That truly is a hunter's nightmare. <laughs> truly. <laughs> I'm just going to say it, that only only uh, OG gangsters use Saw Cleaver throughout the entire game, Scott. I've done it. Like good old Henrik, you know? I didn't remember Henrik used it, but I love the saw cleaver. That's my that's still my favorite weapon in the game. So it's got just such a wonderful balance. It feels perfectly timed, and it feels like the scaling is always sort of living up to what you what you need it to. The move set feels very fluid. Um, yeah, I have no complaints. I like it a lot. Uh, I've had to use the saw spear on occasion, but I think the saw cleaver is better in pretty much every way. Yeah, there are certain. Yeah, if you need to make a piercing attack, fine, you get the saw spear. But um, yeah, I remember actually when I did my saw cleaver build, I also had a saw spear, and it was literally just for the times that I needed sort of a poking attack. Otherwise, every single time I'd immediately default back to saw cleaver. Is from software working on anything right now? Uh, who's to say? Well, oh, right, 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 right. Uh, Elden Ring. Sure. You you don't feel good about it? I don't know. I'm looking. Let's see. That yeah, this is this article is from 2016, so that can't be it. <laughs> Fuck! It's so Jesus far away. Christ. I know. There's. <laughs> Elden Ring reveal reportedly confirmed for Summer Game Fest. I don't know when I, I don't know when Summer Game Fest is. Elden Ring could be appearing at E3 2021. The issue with like online video game reporting is that half of the articles that are up there are just clickbait generating like or clickbait generating views you know and i would i would argue that most from software articles are clickbait generating like i am always feeling baited when i read anything from from software it's called fanfic geese like says look i see i see another armored core game down the pipeline (laughs) that's gotta be it 
I'd be down with Armored Core. Did you ever play any of those games? No, I did not. But I could. I could be. I could be sold on that. They're not bad. I, they're they're not bad. Piloting a mech sounds fun. Anyways, I I don't know if I have anything else to contribute in terms of games at this point. What about you, Scott? No, I'm out for now. Um, I Resident Evil Eight. Going to try and get some more progress on that. Definitely should finish Nine 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 before the next podcast, and then. That makes uh, Virtue's Last Reward, I think, the next the next active game I'm playing. Are you uh, playing more 999 later today? Yeah, I think so. I might I might see if I can stop by for a bit on mute. So I don't want to say anything. I don't want to. Re- I'll give a little heads up in the Streamies channel. I still can't believe that you don't think Furyumpa is uh, the key to everything. <laughs> I think Furyumpa is bullshit. <laughs> You apologize right now. No. All right. <laughs> I refuse. That's it for the episode, guys. Thank you very much for watching. Uh, closing words. Stay safe. I can't wait to, yeah. Can't wait to see you all next week when I know what the hell is going on in 999. Well said. So have a great one, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next week. All right. See ya.